Hey guys, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast, where you will be inspired, encouraged, and transformed with powerful teachings and real stories of mental health. This podcast is not a substitute for counseling. If you are in a crisis, call or text your local crisis center or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Jesus is in our mental health, and freedom is where we start. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. Get ready. Today's show is going to bring you hope. Hello, and welcome to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. I am your host, Heidi Mortensen, licensed marriage and family therapist. And I am so thrilled to have with me another marriage and family therapist, Melissa Johnson. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Heidi. It's so good to be here. Yeah. And I'm really excited to have you on because we're actually going to be talking about something I have not talked about in any of my podcasts yet, which is eating disorders. And you wrote this amazing book called soul DB. And it's not just about how we look on the outside, but really about what God really says beauty is. Um, so I'd love for you to just share a little bit about yourself, Melissa, and we get into your testimony. Yeah. So like you said, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. So I'm currently working um, at a practice here in the Twin Cities. And then I also uh, work at Bethel University as an adjunct professor there for a class essentially on soul well-being. So I'm teaching freshmen over there, which is is really fun. And then I also host the Impossible Beauty podcast. And so I get to have all sorts of conversations with amazing people about expanding our ideas on what true beauty is. And so kind of calling out the lies from our culture about what beauty is and trying to turn down the volume on that so that we can actually step into a truer idea of beauty that I think um, that I'm learning about and so excited to explore um, all the time on the podcast with, with these amazing people. So that's what I'm up to these days. Yeah, that's great. And I'm so excited to have you on the show. And we actually met in person, which is really cool. We were both at a counseling association, our Midwest Christian Counseling Association here this fall. And so we were able to meet in person, which is very rare and unique. And even when she reached out to me, I did not even know that she was from Minnesota and she didn't know that I was from Minnesota. (laughs) So that's what's so cool about when you have an opportunity to Um, be in podcasting. And when you're an author, just the opportunities, you never really know where it's going to land you. So I think it was just God's timing for you and I to meet and to have you on the show. So I would love for you to share part of your testimony. I think you have a a very powerful testimony, especially being a therapist. Um, I just love how honest and vulnerable you are in your whole book. Um, I'd love for you to just share kind of what, why you even got to this place. Yes. So it was completely unexpected. This whole idea about, um, you know, digging into the concept of beauty was nothing I had planned to do. And so about 10-ish years ago, I was working with my own therapist and she let me know that it was actually time for me to do some intensive work around what she was calling an eating disorder. And so honestly, this totally caught me off guard. You know, she had kind of, uh, I guess, tiptoed around it in previous sessions and had kind of um, you know, for some time, let me know that maybe my my habits around food and um, exercise were a bit obsessive and or unhelpful or disordered. And quite honestly, I felt like I was basically trying to do it quote right. And because we do get such disordered ideas around food and movement in our society, largely that less food is better and more exercise is better. 
which, you know, just want to call those out right now as lies. However, I had really bought into that narrative. And I would also say that a lot of my peers had also bought into that narrative um, and the culture at large. And so anyway, I was quite surprised and I ended up, um, I talk a lot about about this in the book, um, how I got from totally surprised and really against going to treatment, um, but then finally did go. And it ended up being a quite a long-term pause for me. I had to pause my work as a therapist. So I went into this intensive treatment environment and about like, I don't know what it was, maybe like six or nine months into the journey, I really did start to see how the beliefs and a lot of actually the behaviors as well were um, being um, like practiced outside of the therapy rooms. I mean, not just those struggling with eating disorders, but also like the larger, um, our societal psyche in terms of when it comes to these ideas about food and exercise um, and body shame, that it it was outside of the um, therapy rooms as well with my peers and, you know, commercials and all of those things. And so I had this like um, series of like aha moments where I realized like this idea of beauty um, is really killing us. And I meant that like, I mean that literally with some of the women um, in, you know, eating disorder treatment settings. And I would also say, you know, depleting or killing the souls of, of women because of the time suck and the head and the heart energy that um, some of these these struggles around um, our relationship with food and our bodies, um, how much time and energy that that can take from us. Um, and I started to see how this is not just, um, you know, I, I have such compassion for those struggles because this is the water we've been swimming in. And so you know, if someone's listening right now and is thinking like, yeah, you know, I, that is something I struggle with. I, I want to lift um, any shame that I can and just, just want to offer so much compassion because this is toxic water we're swimming in. And I really would love to start opening our eyes. And that was part of my journey. Then once I was out of treatment at the end of treatment, I realized like, wow, I cannot not say something because this, like I said, this, this water is toxic. It is damaging us in so many ways, but I didn't feel like people were, were saying enough about it. Um, and, and not in compassionate ways. You know, I, I had grown up maybe with some unhelpful messages uh, in the church, which we can talk about more later too. But anyway, that set me on this course then to start the impossible beauty podcast to really start to explore what true beauty is, what it is not, and how we go about finding beauty in a broken world. And so on that end of the journey came the um, the podcast as well as the book um, that truly was like burning on my heart. I had not set out to be an author, had not set out to write a book, but um, it was like something that I could not let go of. Um, it, and so it's essentially the same uh, type of message and exploration uh, at, for in the that I explore on the podcast. However, in the book, I'm trying to help expose these lies and, um, you know, help us kind of take the veil back on how we are. This is a strong term, but being brainwashed when it comes to beauty in our culture. Um, but then also helping us see, uh, what true beauty is and walking into that. And so, um, that was a really long answer to your story, to your question, Heidi, but, um, yeah. No, this is great. I am actually, as a therapist, still a little hung up on how your therapist, because I see this happen all the time. People come in for therapy for one thing. And as a therapist, I'm like, I know the root issue. You know, I can, I can see what's happening. Could you, I know that this is not about eating disorders, but why were you going to therapy in the first place? 
because yeah. you had a good therapist that she was able to recognize, Hey, I'm noticing these unhealthy patterns. Yeah. Yeah. So this particular therapist, um, so part of my own therapy program, uh, for marriage and family therapy, we, were required to see a therapist. Um, and so I had reached out to this therapist for that reason. Um, and so I had seen her off and on and largely, um, you know, my, my grandma had passed away. So I had some grief issues. Um, that was a a big piece of what I was working through. Um, and then also some codependency issues. There was some addiction pieces going on in, um, in parts of my family. And so that was another aspect that I was, uh, working on in therapy. Yeah. Cause I think you bringing this up and you going to therapy for other issues, I actually think is really common. I think there's a lot of people that actually have issues with eating and thinking. And like you said, they're thinking about it a lot. It's taking up a lot of emotional energy and it's something that is taking over their life. So how do people know if they need to get help versus just maybe listen to your podcast or read your book or just kind of talk to their friends about, Hey, I need to try to think different about my health. Like how do people know if they maybe kind of, kind of are teetering on this? I think I have an issue. Yeah. Such a good question, Heidi. And thank you for saying that. Cause I do think, I mean, you know, there's one um, survey that came out of Chapel Hill, I think it was, and where it's like 75% of the women in the survey reported disordered eating behaviors. And then we know that like 85 to 95% of women hate their bodies, um, or, you know, dislike their bodies to the point of hating them. So what you're mm-hmm. saying, I think is this, this is a deep issue for, I think many more people than, you know, we, we quite, um, than is talked about because as we know, there's a healthy layer of shame around this as well, but yeah, how do we, how do we differentiate? And, you know, one helpful thing that has, I remember this being really helpful in my own journey. Someone asked me how much of your thought life is about food, exercise, or body size or shape. And I'll add in there, I'll add comparison as well. So comparing your own body to, to the bodies of of other people, you know, I think that can be just really helpful information. You know, is it 10%? Is it 80%? Is it 95%? And so that can be really helpful. I smiled when you asked the question though, because like I said, I I, I think um like I'll be interested actually to to know your to hear your thoughts on this. I really do think that we, because of diet culture, we have just been raised with this and, and also because of how we've been basically marketed to to elicit shame to make us think that we are less than. And that comes, you know, that comes in when it when it comes to beauty products when it comes to diet and exercise plans, um, we are being marketed to so much of our time. I think it's like 80%. It was estimated that by the year 2020 in this documentary called The Illusionist, that by the year 2020, we would be exposed to some kind of media 80% of our waking hours. And I spoke to Elena Rossini, who created that film, and she's thinking that it's higher than 80% of our time. So we are being marketed to, um, shame is being elicited so much of our time I think that, um, you know, so that we buy products, I think that we really, our relation, anyone's relationship with food and their bodies probably could be worked on to move toward more wholeness. 
And, you know, in, a, in the case of an eating disorder, you know, then we move into um, kind of, you know, diagnostic criteria and how, you know, functioning and how much is this getting in the way of functioning. But also even there, I think that there's a spectrum from, of um, and, and maybe someone who meets diagnostic criteria for an eating disorder this week might not in a couple of weeks. You know, I think there is like a sometimes mental health is a little bit can be more fluid than maybe we would like it to be. Um, mm. And so sometimes when it comes to this question, I, I I think the question I like to ask is like, is this limiting you from fullness of life? And if it is, I would invite, you know, people listening to, to, you know, read, read my book. And this is not like a marketing ploy. The reason I wrote the book is to help us like start opening our eyes. Like on my own journey, I just really took a deep dive into like, what are we being sold when it comes to beauty? Um, and so kind of starting to take, uh, kind of see the the matrix of beauty and body mm-hmm. image that we've been sold um, so we can then shed it and move into something that is actually true um, when it comes to our worth, when it comes to beauty. Um, and so, you, you know, I think, um, yeah, I, I really do think that um, if if you're someone who is realizing that your struggle with with food is um, you know maybe higher on that percentage scale than you would like it to be, if you think it's limiting your fullness of life, I always would recommend working with an anti diet or non diet dietitian um, because I think that that is a really practical piece of this puzzle. Yeah, I'm going to pause because I'm just talking a lot, Heidi. And is there anything that's coming coming to mind? No, that's this is great. Could you talk about what non diet is and um, really kind of the biggest things that you learn because you do kind of use some words like that um, being yeah. more body conscious and body aware and kind of you know because I've heard of this like a gal that I would go to the gym with she would talk about that just listen to your body are you hungry are you not and um, can you talk about some of those things that you learn that are healthier ways to be instead of using the word diet yeah um, Absolutely. Tell us about this. Yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, so I did not know about uh, diet culture before I went into this, you know, treatment setting. And I don't even, you know, it was something I learned about actually on my own after. Um, I'm going to go ahead and um, define diet culture, and then I'll talk about what a non-diet dietitian is. So this awesome. definition comes to us from Christy Harrison. So she's uh, she's a dietitian. She also um, hosts the podcast Food Psych and Rethinking Wellness. And she's written two books, um, first one being anti-diet. So this is her definition of diet culture. So diet culture is a system of beliefs that equates thinness, muscularity, and particular body shapes with health and moral virtue, promotes weight loss and body reshaping as a means of attaining higher status, demonizes certain foods and food groups while elevating others and oppresses people who don't match its supposed picture of health. By and large, Western culture is diet culture. This way of thinking about food and our bodies is so embedded in the fabric of our society in so many forms that it can be hard to recognize. It masquerades as health, wellness, and fitness, end quote. This idea of um, body reshaping and pursuing thinness um, in our culture has become you know, not only I would say it's a, it is, thinness has become a form of beauty, um, of health, but also of um, like moral virtue and also higher social status. And so this idea of, of thinness or weight loss has a lot of baggage around it in a positive way, I guess, like you get a lot of positive reinforcement around that. And so an anti-diet dietitian 
they would work on, um, you know, your relationship with food and moving toward peace in your relationship with food without focusing on weight loss. So much of our medical system has been focused on, I mean, what many would term fat phobia and this idea of, um, you know, centering weight as a way to measure health. Whereas, and like even the BMI is, I would say problematic. It was, you know, invented like in the, like, like the 1800s by a Belgian astronomer. It was never meant to be a measure of health. It was like a statistical instrument and it was only used to measure at that point, um, like white, uh, like European males. And like I said, it was never meant to be a, a health measure. And so basically a lot of the health measures we have are weight centric. And so an anti-diet dietitian is going to um, kind of look at the full picture and um, help you move toward peace with food in a way that is not going to be weight centric. And we also know that oftentimes, you know, in, when, when someone does pursue a weight loss journey through a diet, um, they, that's not sustainable. Like 95, I'm trying to remember the exact statistics, but it's like 95% or more of people who go on a diet, uh, gain back the weight or gain back the weight. And then some, and the reason is, is because it puts our bodies into a, a starvation mode. And, um, so of course with our bodies in starvation mode, we're going to want to, your body wants to regain that, um, that nutrition back so that you are not literally dying. Like it thinks you're dying, um, and are starving. And so, I, the other piece I want to call out about this, Heidi, is because I think sometimes, you know, growing up in the the 90s or something, I, I knew if it was a diet, like they called it Jenny Craig or they called it Weight Watchers. And so diet culture, you know, it, that in those ways, it's it's easy to call out. However, more and more, um, because again, of these poor statistics around dieting, um, these companies have had to become a bit more savvy. And so we see diet culture kind of more so like warping into wellness culture. And so we see things instead of calling it a diet, it might be called like a, a cleanse or a food plan or a program. And so we see things like keto or we see things like whole 30. Um, and so it's basically a diet by a different name because it has the same type of rules around it, you know, um, food restriction, food group restriction, upholding this idea of uh, of essentially weight loss. I mean, people will say that they're they're pursuing health, um, but oftentimes when you really get down to the root of it, um, this idea of of health looks a certain way as well. Can you talk a little bit about what you what do you feel that we kind of get wrong in the church around mm. this? Like, do we basically just the church looks the same as the world, you know? I mean, like, is that kind of basically what you found out that it's, there's no difference? Such a good question. You know, I think it depends on the person, but I would say because I do think diet culture has saturated the church in a lot of ways. I've seen this come up, um, you know, a couple of times in my own experience. Um, and I cringe a little bit when it does come up because just because of, um, the vulnerable people who could be listening, who might be vulnerable to disordered eating or an eating disorder. And particularly when things, you know, like fasting come like to conversations around fasting and mm -hmm. self-denial. I mean, that's a whole, I have a podcast episode on that. And um, that's a whole nother conversation and we can go there if you want. But um, yeah, I mean, I do think that it, it is one of those issues large. If I could like generalize, it, it does seem like the the like diet culture has infiltrated the church in a lot of ways. And Leslie Schilling just came out with a really good book about this. 
Um, she's a dietitian and um, is basically calling out the same things that diet culture is. Um, we've kind of layered that oftentimes on top of um, beliefs versus practices, spiritual practices, even like fasting, like I mentioned. Hmm. Yeah. So what do you think of fasting? Yeah, no, it's such a good question. I'm like, <laughs> you know, I think it's tricky because I'm not going to like say like a hard and fast rule, like you, you know, we absolutely should, or we shouldn't fast. And I know I've actually heard um, sermons, which have been difficult at times to hear of pastors saying like, basically we all need to fast as Christians. And I, I don't believe that. Um, I, I don't <laughs> like, um, so I'll say, I think for some people, I think it can be a helpful practice. I kind of have, uh, I took a little bit of a deep dive, uh, cause I did a, a series around this with a group, um, last year looking at the original biblical intention for fasting. And so we see fasting in the Bible during times of uh, lament or grief. We also see times of fasting at crossroads moments. So like after after Moses receives the the Ten Commandments, he, um, I mean, I don't even know if they call it fasting in the Bible, but he does fast. And the idea about that crossroads moment, it's, it's almost like this person who has this interaction with God takes time and space to metabolize that experience. And it's almost like, uh, it's, I don't even know if it's like intentional fasting, I guess. It's almost like you're thinking and mulling over this like incredible thing that um, to me, it doesn't even sound intentional, if that makes sense, where so much of our current fasting is very intentional. Not to say that that's right or wrong, it's just something I noticed. Scott McKnight, he's a theologian, and he says, he talks about this idea of body talk. And so it's like this full embodied experience of grief or this full embodied experience of lament. And so in that way, I would say that like, so I think that was helpful for me to get an idea of biblical fasting. And so, yeah, if, if I'm going through a period of grief or lament, it would make sense to fast. Like I would, and not even purpose. I think sometimes just even out of like your body just is talking in the same way as you're, you're grieving. And it's interesting. I, I also know though, in this side of, you know, the, they didn't have diet culture back, back in biblical culture. And now this side of diet culture, um, so much of our neural circuitry around food restriction has become so enmeshed with, you know, weight loss and um, aesthetic uh, means and perfection. And so it's really difficult, I think, to tease those, uh, take those apart. Um, and so I think it can be a really tricky practice. Um, and so I would say if if you are someone who has a history of disordered eating or currently is struggling with an eating disorder, disordered eating, this that may not be the practice for you. I remember my spiritual director gave me some really great wisdom about this. She just said, you know, um, God is offering us this riotous love. What are ways, what are practices that open you up to that riotous love? And honestly, for me, it's not fasting because fasting is going to bring up some things that are not helpful to my neural circuitry, like to my history. And there are so many different ways, like so many different inroads to that riotous, to experiencing that riotous love. And so if fasting actually gets in the way of that, um, I I am pretty confident that God is understanding to see that and compassionate to see that. Um, and so that's my current place on fasting. I think that's really good. I like that you're kind of, you're asking the questions and having us get curious about what is it for us? Like each one of us yeah. is different. Um, yeah. And I think they've expanded fasting to not just be fasting with food. Because um, yes. I see fasting as, kind of more something that we're, we're getting stuck on in our soul. And there's, mm. and there's something that we're struggling to get some breakthrough on. 
And by having a period of fasting, maybe from your phone or from TV or, you know, like from something can really help um, something that you feel that's got, got a hold on you. If there's like a, a really strong hold of, I can own, I always am going to my phone. Well, maybe I need to fast from that for a little bit, um, can help give us breakthrough. Um, so for those who struggle, you know, that aren't able to fast from food, they can maybe choose something else. And it's, to me, I see it as a purpose for something. Cause even when Jesus talked about, you know, these aren't able to be cast out, you know, mm-hmm. you have to either fast, fat, pray and fast. And so, you know, so that, that means that there, you know, there was a demon that wasn't able to get cast out and it was like, okay, we need to pray and fast here. So that means there's something within us that isn't able to, um, we don't have the power and authority yet to kind of walk through that. And so sometimes we need to, like you said, you know, we're in this period of lament or needing to, I feel like it's like, there's a cleansing of our soul that needs to happen and we're kind of clogged up a little bit. So um, but I like that you're make, giving the invitation of it doesn't have to be for everyone and that we each need to be paying attention mm-hmm. to which one of us and where we're at. Um, so I would love for you to talk about what advice for you have for those of us who are struggling with shame around our body or frustrated even with God because of their bodies. Like how can people mm-hmm. love who they are when you're like, okay, listen to her. And she's like, this is great, but I don't like my body. You know, like they're, mm-hmm. they're still listening to you and they're like, but I, I do need to lose weight or I do, you know, like Mm. they're, they're still, they're they're listening and they're like open to what you're saying, but they're still believing this. I still don't like my body or I still am struggling. What advice do you have for that? I mean, one thing to think about, uh, well, I, I, the first thing I would say is, you know, start getting curious about what lies we've been fed our whole life about our bodies. Like why, why do you think your body is wrong? And largely, you know, if you think about this idea of what fires together, wires together, you know, whatever thoughts we think, um, you know, that, so that's our neuroscience. So basically the, um, the thoughts we think or the feelings we feel or the actions that we, or behaviors that we enact, the more we do those, the more likely it's going to occur again. So if we have literally for decades been looking at magazines that have been Photoshopped and we are now looking at social media that has been filtered. And so, and literally when we look at an image, sometimes parts of the body has been, have been chopped off to make it look smaller. And like I said, we have been watching ads for, for decades as well saying, um, you know, calling certain areas of our body problem areas. Whereas, I mean, for instance, I forget what year it was. It was like 69 or 70 when Vogue actually, um, took the term cellulite that was never meant what we think it is today, but it was like a, a medical term that was not <laughs> its current definition. And they started using cellulite for what it is, you know, body dimples today, and they made it a problem. So that again, so now we have products that sell us, um, you know, skin, I don't even know what they what the cellulite creams do, but firm our skin up or something, get rid of cellulite in some way. So what I would love them for them to hear is you have been taught to hate your body so that other people can make money. And so my um, invitation is start to see the lie, like start seeing through the lies. Like when you look at an ad, um, just start noticing like, what are they, what do they want me to think? And what product are they trying to sell me? Um, so that I, so that I, you know, at once I'm convinced of whatever's wrong with my body, um, so I can quote, fix it. I, I want you to hear that there's nothing wrong with your body. We don't need to fix our bodies. Um, I think 
we oftentimes are not nourishing our bodies enough because we how we've thought our our bodies are flawed. Um, so anyway, my I, I would encourage you to start seeing through the lies and the the matrix of what we're being sold. And with that, that is like part one of my book. And so I would invite you to to read that. Um, and then also when it comes to shame, to me, shame is an embodied experience. And one of the most helpful things, well, I shouldn't say to me, it is an embodied experience. When we experience shame, um, I don't know what it is for you, but for me, oftentimes it's like a sinking feeling in my stomach. Um, usually maybe my, my, um, my face gets red. Um, and, and with that though, um, what I've found to be really helpful is to like, notice like, okay, wow. Yeah. I'm feeling really a lot of shame here. Um, and it's this idea of, uh, I have a really, I want to go ahead and actually pull up this definition from Brene Brown. Cause I want to, I think it's a helpful one, um, when it comes to shame. So, um, Brene Brown defines shame as an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Um, and the way that we look, that can very much bring up this idea of shame and that we're unworthy of love and belonging. And so I would invite you to start noticing where do you feel or experience pain in your body when it comes up, or sorry, shame in your body. And then I would invite you to like envision the face of Jesus and envision like what grace looks like, envision what grace feels like. I don't know if you've ever had like a caregiver sing over you or look at you with like the most tenderness. And I would invite you to then invite grace to those places of your body. Um, and then remember that actually this grace is truer. It speaks louder than the shame. Um, and again, the shame has just been founded on lies. Like it's just not true about your body. Um, and so that's what I would invite you to do. And um, again, this is this is a long journey. Like I said, what fires together, wires together. So we have been fed this junk for decades. And so it's going to take time to undo and to find a new way forward. That's so good. I love that. It kind of makes me want you to just like step into prayer for us, mm -hmm. um, which I will actually have you do. I'm like, that sounds like a beautiful encounter. Just take that time to sit and let Jesus talk over you. So if any of you were actually feeling Jesus do that, pause the podcast and just let yourself like sit in that place of hearing what Jesus has to say over you. Cause I was actually hearing when you were talking that in the same way that people struggle to believe that my, their body's okay, where they are. I feel like a lot of people struggle with that, like with their identity in itself and that they need to mm -hmm. kind of keep striving and keep mm -hmm. trying and keep doing more. And that we just struggle with just being and allowing ourselves to just be enough just because we are and God just loves us like accepting that in itself is a step and then with that then entering into and he loves our body like he loves our body he loves our mind like he made all of us not just one part of us and and to not have that be a separate thing and would you say that people who struggle with disordered eating have a little bit more of a fragmentation like Oh, I'm good here, but my bot, like maybe they, their focus is like, I'm really, really smart. And I know that I'm smart. And I'm really confident, but I hate my body. Do you feel like that ever happens mm. or is there mm. not much of that fragmentation? It's interesting because I do notice, and you know, there's no, 
there's no like one size fits all with this, but something I have noticed actually is oftentimes someone who is like a people pleaser and like trying in one area really hard to, it's basically perfectionism. And I feel like perfectionism, instead of fragmentation, it's almost like generalization of, of um, perfectionism, like in, you know, maybe Mm. their work or school. Um, and then also perfectionism around, uh, their, their body, but also exercise or perfectionism around, um, food, like having that food perfectionism piece, um, which is oftentimes is orthorexia, but I'm, okay. I'm looking up to this idea, this tendency to strive. I want to go ahead and just, if that's okay, can I just state this one statistics? I think it's a powerful one. Because I think to your point, I think you're so right, Heidi, that in terms of this, like our desire to strive and strive and strive, but it's really like just resting and like, whew, like I'm actually okay. Like I'm, I'm loved like where I'm at. So I want to go ahead and when it comes to body image, um, Hillary McBride is the source for this. She says that research shows that those who are able to quote, change their body and become closer to what we think of as the appearance ideal they don't actually feel better about themselves, which goes counter, I think, to so much of our what we hear. Instead, what we see is compulsion around exercise, anxiety about weight and their body increases, and their sense of conditional belonging increases. So this idea that I have to keep up a certain look or you know a certain exercise routine order to be um, accepted by others. And so I just think that that's really powerful because it kind of stands in, uh, I, I think in, um, it's a nice counter to this idea of, oh, I should just keep striving. Cause that's where happiness is. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's good. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's in this rest and it's in this place of peace. Um, so yeah, would you be able to pray for the, for us, pray for the listeners and, and then I'll let them know how they can get a hold of your book and your website. And yeah, I would, this has been wonderful. Mm, thank you, Heidi. Yeah, definitely. Um, just God, I thank you for this space. I thank you for your presence with us. Um, I pray for um, everyone who's listening. I pray that if there are any like lies or untruth that we have been operating from, that you would expose those places and in your gentle way that you know how to do. Um, and I just pray that you would whisper or speak truth over those who are listening to those places where maybe there are lies that um, about their worth or about um, how how you see them, how the world sees them. I just pray that you would give them uh, an overwhelming download of how you see them and how deeply loved they are. I, I just pray um, for exposing, that you would help to expose these lies um, that are leading to places of suffering or harm for people. And I also pray that as we seek to see beauty in a different way, um, seeing it as your life at work in us and in the world around us and among us, I pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see that true beauty at work in the world, at work in us and present in us um, even now. May we see your image in us um, and may we know how beautiful we are uh, in just the deepest parts of who we are I just pray for your continued guidance in our life and also um, again that you just continue to open our eyes our minds our hearts to see this true beauty that is um, ultimately you um, and that we can see in the world all around us and other people and within ourselves 
pray these things in your name. Amen. And I also just want to release to some of you the courage to be able to get the help that you need to get. Because I think there's some of you that I feel like you've had like similar struggles to Melissa and just even hearing her story, I think has stirred up some courage in you that you actually can get that help as well. Just like how she wasn't thinking that she needed the help, but it was the best thing for her. Um, and I, and I also just feel like in the same way that there was for Melissa, there's purpose in this, like Melissa's now speaking on this. She wrote a book, like she was able to really pull out and find out the cultural lies that were that we actually are being fed Um, And she's not making a difference. So I just want to encourage some of you, don't be afraid to go ask for that help and get that help because it's going to be so much better on the other side. So thank you so much, Melissa, for coming on and sharing your story and some of this amazing wisdom that you have been able to share. And um, so how can people find out more about you and listen to your podcast and buy your book? Yeah. So the podcast, um, the website is impossible-beauty.com. And the podcast is the Impossible Beauty Podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Amazon Music. I don't know. I'm trying to keep up, trying to all keep up places. with all the platforms. I know. Yes. And, um, yep. and then on Instagram, I'm at melissa.louise.johnson and then also at impossible.beauty. And then on Facebook, I have a, a page, like an Impossible Beauty blog and podcast page there as well. And then the book, I think you can find the book, you know, at most major retailers online. So Soul okay. Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on. It has been an honor. Thank you so much, Heidi. Thanks for listening to the Strong Tower Mental Health Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread mental health awareness with Jesus at the Center. You can also check me out on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or my website at HeidiMortensen.com lmft.com. See you at our next episode.